This is Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Here's a preview from Pastor Cody of today's message. We have failed at keeping the law even before we even knew one. And so that way is out. Keeping the law to get good with God is out. And that's important for you to grasp, not just in terms of salvation, but as the basis of your relationship with God. How often do we come to God on the terms of, I did all the good things, God. Lord, look at all the good that I did this week. You should accept me even more so. When we approach God that way, it's based on our works. It's based on the law. It's a faulty belief system in how God works. That's not how God works. Pretty often, people trick themselves into thinking that God already has or is going to save them because of their works. But in today's message, Pastor Cody sets the record straight and reminds us that we had already broken the law before we were capable of comprehending what it was. So we have absolutely no hope of being redeemed through our own actions. It's only through the grace of God that we've given a chance at redemption through Jesus, who died for our continuous failures. Now turn in your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 10 and join Pastor Cody for today's edition of Redemption Radio. Romans chapter 10 is where we're going to be today, uh, spending our time traveling through the book of Romans, verse by verse. It's kind of who we are. It's part of the DNA of our church here at Redemption Calvary. We just go through books of the Bible. Um, every once in a while, we'll do something different, like a, a, some sort of series. It's pretty rare. I mean, like, like I said, we did the Ten Commandments, but that's fairly uncommon for us. Typically, we just travel through books of the Bible. If you want freedom from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and in the future in heaven from the presence of sin, there's really only one way to get it. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. Being a good person isn't enough. Giving money isn't enough. Uh, doing right things isn't enough. Your good outweighing your bad isn't enough. Being really true to your religious upbringing isn't enough. Uh, hoping that one day God really isn't there isn't enough. There's only one way. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, through Jesus alone. And that's what we're going to be looking at today in uh, Romans chapter 10. Here's our big idea that this, God has the same solution for us all because we all have the same problem. That, that God has one solution for humanity. I don't care where you're from. I don't care where you grew up. I don't care what language you speak. God has one solution for all of humanity because we all have the same problem. So we're going to read through Romans chapter 10 together today. We're going to take the entire chapter. It's 21 verses, so it's not quite as long as the other chapters. But we're going to read through all of it. It's going to take a minute, uh, and then we'll go back through and break it down. All right. So Romans chapter 10, verse 1 says this, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God uh, for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the, the righteousness which is of the law, the man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith 
which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14, how then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But, Mo- but I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Today we're going to look at Romans chapter 10 verses 1 through 21 in four parts, four parts of this uh, chapter today. It is going to be verses 1 through 7, the righteousness of self, verses 8 through 13, the righteousness of God, verses 14 through 17, the preacher's responsibility, and then verses 18 through 21, the hearer's responsibility. So that's how we'll break down the chapter today. Now, just as a kind of way of reminder to get us up to speed, Romans 9, 10, and 11 are like this weird pause in the middle of Romans where the focus shifts from the idea of explaining the gospel, the need for the gospel in the first eight chapters, and then starting in chapter 12, it's the results of the gospel. In 9, 10, and 11, the focus is the nation of Israel. And we looked at last week in Romans chapter 9, looking at the past dealings of God. God with Israel, that God has dealt with Israel in the past plan uh, of God. And today, as we look at chapter 10, what we're uh, experiencing in chapter 10 is the present rejection of God by Israel. That's the idea of Romans chapter 10. Now, Romans chapter 9 and 10 work together to display two things that we typically look at as opposed, and yet they are simultaneously true. When you look at Romans 9, it's absolutely abundantly clear that the sovereignty of God is on display. God has a plan. Nobody can thwart that plan. Nobody can uh, remove that plan. Nobody can take the plan of God away. That God has a plan, and he's going to execute his plan. That's Romans 9. Then Romans 10 comes in, and it's all about human responsibility. It's not about the plan of God. No, now it's uh, more about the responsibility of people. Now, this drives us crazy intellectually because we look for the answer. Which one is it? I mean, is is God sovereign or are people responsible? And really, the answer is yes. That's the answer. The answer is yes. People who try to, you know, figure this out and, and divide over all of this, really, they, uh, they are pursuing an intellectual thing that is, is not possible to really grasp with our finite minds. Here's our Charles Spurgeon, the, who's called the Prince of Preachers. Here's how he describes it in one of his sermons. He says, I was once asked to reconcile these two statements, and I answered, no, I never reconcile friends. These two passages never fell out. They are perfectly Agreed. It is folly to imagine a difference and then set about removing it. You see, in our minds, they're contrary to one another, but biblically, they're simultaneously true. 
they're actually complementary. They both work together simultaneously. God is absolutely in control, and you are absolutely responsible. Those are both true at the same time. You don't have to understand it fully, but you do have to believe it because that's the way Scripture works. All right, so let's look at this first section together today, the righteousness of self in verses 1 through 7. Go back to verse 1. It says this, But brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. You see, Paul is deeply concerned for Israel. We saw chapter 9 open this way, and now chapter 10 again opens this way with the salvation of the nation of Israel. It's this deep concern that weighs upon the heart and the mind of uh, of Paul. And the really, really the, the truth of the matter is that they have all of these advantages of why they should see Jesus as the Christ, why they should put their faith in him. And we saw that in Romans 9 verses 4 and 5. They have eight different advantages that should bring them to faith. And yet the vast majority of Israel is not saved at this time that Paul reads this. And the same thing is true today, that the vast majority of Israel is not saved. They have rejected their Messiah. And this concern, what does it do? Look there at verse 1. My prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. His concern drives him to prayer. I would ask you, do you pray? Are you you concerned enough to pray? David Guzik says it like this. Oftentimes, it's not a problem of not enough prayer. The problem is not enough care. Many times we should just cry out to God and say, Lord, make me care more. The reason we don't pray is because we honestly don't care. Here's another way to say it. You only pray about what you care about. If if you're not praying about it, then I would argue with you, you really don't care about it. You might say you care about it. You might tell people you care about it. But if you're not praying about it, if it's not on your mind to bring before God, then it's not truly a care that you have. And so Paul is driven to prayer. He's constantly praying that Israel would be saved. And what's the issue? Well, the issue is salvation. Look at verse 2. It says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. The issue is, is salvation. And Israel sees no need to be saved. They, they would look at the Gentiles and say, they need to be saved, but we're, we're by default saved because We're Jewish. In fact, the rabbis of this day would commonly teach that Abraham stands at the gates of hell and that he's watching people march into hell and he would look for Jewish people and he would stop them and say, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. You're one of my people. You don't belong in this line. Somehow you got in the wrong line. Get in the line to heaven. And that just by virtue of being Jewish, that's all they needed to do. And then they were saved. They were bound for heaven. The, the Gentiles, the, the, the filthy people, everybody else needs to be saved, not the Jewish people. And they thought because they had sincerity and devotion, and secondly, because they, their good would outweigh their bad, that they had no need for this salvation. You see, verse uh, two says that they have a zeal for God. You see that? This idea of zeal is excitement and fervor and even the idea of fierceness. What this is saying is that being louder and crazier and more extreme doesn't necessarily make you right. You can, you can be screaming and loud about all the wrong things. Turn on the news. You'll see a bunch of people doing that right now. They're going crazy, burning down our cities, looting and rioting, and they're loud and they're very boisterous about it, but that doesn't make them right, right? Just because you're loud, it doesn't make you right. The, the reality is that zeal 
departed from knowledge uh, can actually make you wrong. Uh, think about it like this. On September 11, 2001, 19 Muslim terrorists hijacked four planes and murdered nearly 3,000 people with those planes, and they thought they were serving God. That's what they thought they were doing. They believed wholeheartedly. I, I don't doubt their zeal for one second. How many of us would be willing to do something so crazy as that? I, I think we would all say, this is where I check out. I'm not going to go that far. Their zeal surpasses many of ours by far, and yet their zeal is without knowledge. They're, they're zealous for the wrong things. They're passionate about the wrong things. Just being passionate is not enough to gain salvation. Not only that, but look at uh, verse 3. The second idea, not only is it that uh, their sincerity and devotion is what they leaned into, but they thought that their good would outweigh their bad. Look at verse 3. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Here's the thought. They believed that the law was there for them to prove how good they were. I know the law. I read the law. I keep the law. Therefore, look at how good I am. They were ignorant, not of the law, but they were ignorant of the purpose of the law. This is what their ignorance was. They, they didn't understand what the, the point of the law was. The point of the law was to reveal God's righteousness, not for you to establish your own righteousness. That was never the point of the law. And so in verse four, uh, we have this target that it's not about my good while outweighing my bad, but it's actually belief in Jesus. He says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You see, belief in Jesus is submission to the righteousness of God. You see that at the end of verse four or verse three, excuse me, they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Submitting to the righteousness of God, submitting to God is really the issue of salvation. You can know all the right things. You can even say that you believe all the right things. You can go through the motions and do all the right things and yet fail in being submitted to God. Submission to God is the whole issue. It's the crux of the matter in terms of coming into a place of salvation, of actually being saved. And, and that, how do we gain this? Well, it's because Jesus is the end of the law. How is Jesus the end of the law? Not that he abolished the law, but that through Jesus, belief in Jesus, that is submission to God, and it ends our attempt to keep the law in an act of self-righteousness. Look how good I am. Look at the stuff that I do. I don't, I don't do those bad things. I don't, those filthy people over there, I don't do what they do. I, I'm not participating in that. Look at all the good stuff that I do. Here's all the ways that I've earned a right place with God, and now God owes me the gift of heaven. And so in this, uh, Paul moves into verses five through seven where he quotes Leviticus and Deuteronomy to explain that there are only two biblical ways of attaining righteousness. That this is always the way that it's been, even in the Old Testament. This is not a New Testament only teaching. It's an Old Testament teaching as well. That there, is, there are two ways of attaining righteousness. Number one, through the law. And that's what we see there in uh, verse, verses five through seven. Look at verse five, it says, for Moses writes about the righteousness, which is, notice, of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. So this first way of attaining righteousness is of the law, verse five. It's very simple. Perfectly keep the entire law for all of your life and you will be able to earn your own righteousness. Anybody in that boat? Anybody been perfect their whole life? No, right? We, no one's been able to do such a thing because even before we knew there was a law, we failed at even keeping it. Anybody who has kids know that. 
the, the rebellious little child that, that just looks in your face and says, no, I'm not going to do it. I remember one time with my oldest, she's 16 now, but when she was about, uh, I don't know, maybe three or four years old, um, I told her, I said, oh, Haley, you're, 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 you're going to uh, you're gonna have to get a spanking for that. And she looked at me and she said, well, I'm not going to cry. It's just defiance. I will stand up to you. I don't care if you're four times my size. I'm bigger than you in my own mind. You know, there's just this defiance and rebellion in the heart of a child. And so as, as we see this happening, we have failed at keeping the law even before we even knew one. And so that way is out. Keeping the law to get good with God is out. And that's important for you to grasp, not just in terms of salvation, but as the basis of your relationship with God. How often do we come to God on the terms of, I did all the good things, God. Lord, look at all the good that I did this week. You should accept me even more so. When we approach God that way, it's based on our works. It's based on the law. It's a faulty belief system in how God works. That's not how God works. If that's what you're relying on, if you think that God's going, you're going to deserve God's presence, then the truth of the matter is that you are setting yourself up for failure. You will never be able to earn your own righteousness. But 6 and 7 talk to us about a different way. The second way that you can have righteousness. Look at verse 6. But the righteousness, notice, of faith. So here's the second part. There's righteousness of the law, and then there's righteousness of faith. And what does it say? And then he quotes a couple of Old Testament passages of Scripture. It says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that's to bring Christ down from above, or who will ascend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. This is, this is basically telling us it's equally as simple as the first way. The first way of the law is, is very simple. Keep the whole law for your whole life. And the way of faith is equally as simple. There, are, there is no quest of great heights or great depths to discover or gain the mysteries of righteousness. We tend to think, Lord, what's the religious thing I've got to do? What's the quest that I've got to go on? What's the, the mountain that I've got to climb? And, and I'll do that, and then, and then somehow I'll gain this kind of relationship with you. No, the whole point is, it's faith alone, in Jesus alone, because of his grace alone. That's what gets us to the point of salvation. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians, if you will. Galatians chapter 3. I want to show you in Galatians 3 how uh, this is described in a chunk of Scripture here. I just want to basically read it for you, and uh, I think it's fairly self-explanatory. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19 says this, What purpose then does the law serve? Right, so there's a, there's a good question. If the law wasn't meant to, for me to get my righteousness, to climb the mountain, to get to God, then what's the point? What purpose does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through the angels uh, by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator doesn't mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law is our tutor to bring us to Christ. Not that we might be justified, excuse me, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. We're no longer under that tutor. You see, the law of God was never a way to make people good. It's design, just like the law, the legal system that we have today. You can't legislate morality, can you? You just can't do it. 
There's no such thing as a law that's going to make people good. All that laws do is restrain the evil. That's all. They just hold back the evil that is built within humanity. That really what this is saying is that the law doesn't give you a way to climb higher and get into heaven or dig deeper and get down into it. And it gets you, what the law does is it gets you to the end of you. Because at that point, when you're at the end of you, that's when you'll reach out for Jesus. That's when you'll recognize, I have no power on my own to make myself better. I need God to do this in me by a supernatural, miraculous power. Go back to Romans chapter 10, if you will, as we continue on. Not only is it the righteousness of self, but we see in the second piece, in 8 through 13, the righteousness of God. Romans chapter 10 Verse 8 says this, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in him from your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, the natural question then comes. If there's not a quest to go on, if there's not a mountain to climb or something to dig deep down into, then the natural question comes, how does this righteousness of faith actually work? And what this section does is it focuses on the anatomy of salvation, the anatomy of faith. What does faith actually really look like. And the righteousness of faith in verse 6 is how we gain the righteousness of God in verse 3. The righteousness of faith gives us access to the righteousness of God. That it's not by our stuff, by our ability, by our capacity, but it's by God and by His ability. And so uh, God, what He does through faith is He actually imputes, that's the Bible word, or He gives. He actually gives you His righteousness. It's not that he gives you the ability to work right. It's not like Jesus says, hey, I did it. So now here, you, you have to figure out how to do it. No, he actually gives you his own perfection. He, he takes from you all of your failure, all your fault, all of your sin. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 talks about that, that great exchange that he made him, speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You literally are transformed into becoming the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus. God gives his own perfection to imperfect people. Now verse 8, what it is, it's a continuation of the Deuteronomy quote that we saw in verses uh, 6 and 7. It's a continuation the, the very next verse. It's, it's not about going on a noble quest, but it's about what's in your heart and what's in your mouth. That God's way even in the law, in the Old Testament law, has always been the way of faith. It's always been the way of faith. Here's how David Guzik says it. Friends, do you see what the grace of God does? Do you see what faith does? It actually, it, it takes it totally out of the realm of earning and deserving and puts it within the realm of believing and receiving. You, you can't earn and do anything to gain more access or favor with God. There's not a single thing you can do to make God love you more. When you enter into believing and receiving, then not only does he pour out all of his love on you, but he also pours out all of his power upon you to be what you wish you were. That's the amazing power of God. In verses 9 and 10, Paul goes on this commentary or this explanation of what we just looked at in Deuteronomy 30 uh, with verses 7 through 8. You see, these two parts work together to Bruce saving faith. But notice he points them out in reverse chronology. Look at verse 9. He says, for if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. 
So he, he takes them in, in chronological order, but backwards. He says, if you confess with your mouth, then you will be saved. So this confession with your mouth is an outward physical manifestation. That it's something that comes out of you. The result of what's inside, but it's, it's something that comes out. That there's a physical manifestation that must take place. You see, an external uh, expression is important, but, but it's not everything. Because external expressions that are disconnected from internal conviction is merely religious obligation. Let, let me say that again. External expression disconnected from internal conviction is actually just a religious obligation. You've been listening to Redemption Radio. Thanks for joining Pastor Cody King in this chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse study of the Book of Romans. We pray today's teaching has both inspired and challenged you in your faith. We also hope that you'll be eager to study God's Word on your own. If you'd like to listen to this message again or hear more from this Roman series, feel free to visit redemptioncalvary.org. Once you're there, just click on the Sermon tab at the top of the page. There, you'll find an archive of previous messages. Redemption Radio is a ministry of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. We're passionate about preaching and teaching God's Word with the utmost integrity. We meet together at 11 a.m. each Sunday. And if you're in or near the area, we'd love to have you join us. You can find all the information you need including directions at redemptioncalvary.org. Again, that's redemptioncalvary.org. If you're unable to meet with us in person, no worries. We live stream our services on Facebook and YouTube. If you have any questions about who we are or about today's teaching, don't hesitate to give us a call at 720-466-5358. Again, that number is 720-466-5358. Thanks for being a part of today's listening audience. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a single edition of Redemption Radio.